all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Allison. I know uh, Josh already said it, but good morning again. Um, my name's Sean. I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Um, something we say every week, so you might as well get used to it if you want to call this place your home, is Redemption Church is one church, 10 different congregations. Um, each congregation, like Peoria, is elder-led and lead pastor-led. Um, I'll be out by the Connect desk. I'd love to answer any questions you have about that. Um, myself, the elders, will be able to kind of help you process any, any questions you might have with, with all that stuff. Um, I don't have a lot of announcements outside of letting you know that as we go into the new year, a Start Here class is going to start again. Um, and we feel like the Start Here class is uh, the, the best on-ramp for you to get plugged into a community, which is the best way to call this place your home. So if you are new, um, here's what I'm going to give you this. Uh, can you tell up the Connect number, the 623-850-4690? Text the word Connect. There's some classes you could sign up for in 2018, but also the Start Here class uh, is on there as well, and uh, that will get you some information, know our culture. It's the first three weeks of every month. Just kind of be aware of that. Um, I only have one announcement. It's not even really an announcement as much as it is a celebration. Uh, this last Saturday, we had um, uh, our Affordable Christmas, which is, if you don't know, we set up a store uh, in a Title I school, Altaloma, and we have families come in uh, all day from 9 to 4, and they purchase toys, the toys that we bought. Um, the thing is, we purchase them, and then we sell them to, as we set up the store, at 90% off. Uh, we feel like that's the best way to empower and uh, humanize people again, uh, r- remind them that they um, aren't just giving, getting some handout from us, but rather they've worked for the toys and earned the toys that they got. And then ultimately, um, their money doesn't just go back to us, but it goes back to the school. So they're giving back to their community, the very schools that their kids go to. We, last year, uh, were able to help 150 kids, and this year, we were able to help over 350 kids. So it's really awesome. I know. I thought, we're so terrible at applauding, I thought I would have to tell you to applaud there, so well done. Um, that was actually a plant, someone started it. Um, so here's, here's where we are, we're in the season of Advent, you can open up your Bibles to Romans 8 if you haven't already. Um, Advent uh, means arrival, right? It's, uh, it's trying to explain it to my kids uh, going through, it's not just an arrival, but specifically the word Advent is the arrival of an important person. Um, and uh, we're kind of rolling back the clock and backwards and forward, meaning um, we're looking back at what it was like for the people to long for the way to Jesus uh, as the prophets continued to prophesy about him. But at the same time, for us, our hearts to long for, um, as they do, for Jesus to return. And that's what this season is, is meant to remind us. So we have Advent calendars even in our home, and still to this day, they weren't allowed to open any of the Lego Advent cal- There's a Lego Advent calendar that my mother-in-law got them until they can articulate perfectly what Advent is for. And no matter how much I tell my four-year-old daughter what Advent is about, she continues to say it's about the spirit of Christmas and family. And I go, get out, okay? So she refuses. Her heart is not regenerate, and she refuses to believe the gospel. Um, So that's not what it is about. It is about 
uh, the arrival of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. And so you'll see um, the goal is even on the stage to continue to add to what we're doing uh, as far as decorations to kind of symbolically show that our hearts should be bubbling over every single week uh, longing for, for Jesus' return. Now we've decided to take um, the, the four weeks of Advent and devote them towards the doctrine of adoption. And so we're sitting in Romans eight fourteen through 17. Let me show you the overview of what we're doing in general. Because last week we started with who we are adopted by. And uh, we weren't in 14 through 17 because it was a setup in regards to the end of the chapter. Um, really laying out the things that tell us where we are and standing before God. But what, is that told, what that told us about God. That he's powerful. That he's generous. That he's uh, ultimately uh, secure in his love. And we are secure in his love uh, that, that he has for us. And today we're going to start our trek through uh, these verses. 14, 15, 16, and 17. And these four, four uh, verses that we're going to go through over the course of three weeks is going to be a good training process for us because as we go into 2018 we're going to spend a long time most of the year in Ephesians and we're going to be doing one or two verses at a time so this is good for us um here's what we're going to do today we're going to go into um as we talked about last week adopted by we're going to go into today what we've been adopted from so I shared my story uh being adopted into a family that was secure well if I was to share my story what I was adopted from what that life was like now here's why this is important because I get it. This week is finals week. Uh, it's Christmas. It tends to be stressful. There's year-end reviews. Whatever it is, I, I get that there tends to be a, a kind of notching up of stress. But here's what's crazy about this. If you are a believer, I think it's real quick to forget what you truly have been adopted from, what your old life was like. And uh, verses 14 through 17, get at that idea. Now, we're just going to hone in on uh, 14 and the beginning of 15, but I think there's a ton there to do it. So let's get at it. Let me read uh, uh, 8, 14 through 17 again, and then, um, and then we'll dive into mostly the, the first half of 15. And I want to say, as I read this, if you haven't read Romans 8 before, um, it's crazy theologically rich. Uh, it's so good. Uh, I would challenge you, like if you could set aside some time this week and just read Romans 8 like three to five times, right? And the questions that you have, bring to like maybe your community leader or whoever, and just process it. It is so good. Romans 8, I would say it's worth memorizing. It tends to be repetitive um, and it's dense, but so good. So, so good. Um, So we're only picking it up in in, uh, verse 15, but this is what it says in 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Um, let's start in 15, and we're going we're gonna to get to 14 in a second, get to the context a little more in uh, this section, but let's start in uh, verse 15. This is what it says, and I just want to um, let you in as to a little bit of my, my prep time coming into the sermon all week, what I've been mulling over and over, but this is what it says, and this is a word that I've struggled with, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery, okay? And what I've struggled with is why it says the spirit of slavery, and that may feel like just a passing, like I get it, but I think when it talks about this, uh, this spirit of slavery, this is one of those things that we use in Christian cultures, but we don't even really take time to process what it means. Like, well, I've just got a spirit of thanksgiving right now. Well, what does that mean? Like, you, you have a, a spirit, like, following you around that's on you right now of thanksgiving? Is that, is that what that means? Like, what does it mean for him to say the spirit of slavery, okay? Now, um, 
it, as you look at this, I want you to, if you can look at your Bibles, if you specifically have an ESV translation, I want you to notice the word spirit in slavery is lowercase, but the word spirit when it says adoption is, is uh, capitalized. Now, that's saying something. The translators didn't just accidentally, I don't know, pick that one to be lowercase and we'll, we'll make that one capitalized. That's saying something. Um, and, and in the ESV, I, I think they're trying to communicate something there and I want to get at what they're communicating. Um, and here's what I did. Mulling over what, what this uh, uh, is trying to say, there's 383 times this word spirit appears in the, uh, the, the Greek New Testament. And I mulled over and combed through every single one of them trying to, to get at what this is. And ultimately, when you see the, the word spirit, you're probably familiar uh, uh, with, so there's four ways that the Spirit is talked about. First, there's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. There's our spirit, the spirit within us. There's like demonic spirits, like someone has an unclean spirit. Or it used, it's used as an adjective, like in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. It's used as like spiritual gifts, okay? Um, and in seeing this and trying to understand, the, that's true for pretty much all 383 times the, the Bible uses, or the New Testament uses, spirit, except five. There's five times that help me try to understand why would Paul use the spirit of slavery? What does it mean that you and I do not have the spirit of slavery? Let me share with some verses. Uh, And this is good because in Ephesians 1, next year, what we're going to get into, it says that uh, uh, he prays that we'd have the spirit of wisdom. What does that mean? That there's an actual spirit of wisdom and, and trying to get at this. So, let me share some verses, and I think I have them on the screen uh, for you. There's four verses, including the one that we're doing today. So three verses, including the one that we're doing today. It says this. Um, so check out 1 Corinthians uh, 2.12. It says this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So what is the spirit of the world? Look at uh, Romans 11.8. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. What, 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 okay, uh, Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And ultimately in 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Okay, um, I got to be careful here because a lot of you guys know my roots and where I come from, everything's got a spirit. Right? Okay, so um, there's the Jezebel spirits, and there's a spirit of Beelzebub on them, and the spirit of laziness. Like, everything's got a spirit. I remember one time I was talking with a, a mom who her teenager didn't want to do his homework, and she's, she was one of those hyper-spiritual people, you know, those type of people, and um, just waving flags just randomly, just as she talks, just having, uh, randomly slipping into tongues and stuff like that. So, so she, she's, um, she's talking to me, and she goes, my teenager, he just doesn't want to do a, a, his homework. He has, like, he has a spirit of apathy, right? And now, I was like, okay, well, if your teenage son doesn't want to do his homework and he has a spirit of apathy, then every child I've ever known has the spirit of apathy, okay? What does she mean by the spirit of apathy? Um, and I want to be careful that I don't get, get into that room. But here's what I also don't want to do. I don't want to swing to the other side because it's next to impossible to be a Christian and not believe in spirituality. Not next to It is impossible, okay, to not believe. We serve a spiritual God. So if that's true, there, there's somewhere in this, and, and I, I really try to understand what this is. But here's what's crazy. I don't think I need to do that much explaining. Because I think automatically, as we're talking about this, I think you and I um, hear and use the natural language that Paul is actually trying to unearth. We, we use language like sending good vibes, or, um, man, he's just like, he's like a downer. Or you walk into a room and it feels, let's use sports analogies. I didn't want to do this, but let's use sports analogies, okay? Um, there's a crazy thing about playing sports that we use language of stuff we cannot scientifically explain. Meaning, there's moments 
most moments where I feel like I'm on the court and I'm just never going to miss, okay? 99% of the time, I just never think I'm going to miss. And usually I don't, okay? Um, so, so, so here I am. And in those moments, in those brief moments where I feel like I'm not going to miss, the language we use, as cheesy it is, is like, dude, I feel like I'm in the zone. I feel like I'm just unconscious right now. Like, it doesn't matter. Whatever I put up is going to go in, right? This is, there, there's moments where we watch, uh, I remember watching uh, Michael Jordan, better than Kobe and, and LeBron. I remember watching him back in, in his prime. And they would be down by eight or nine. And I just, I, specifically that, that finals against the Utah Jazz. And I thought, he ain't going to miss. Michael Jordan doesn't lose, right? There was this mindset. Um, let me give you one more example. Last year's Super Bowl, uh, Josh Miller, Stevie and I were talking about this. Last year's Super Bowl is crazy. I hate the Patriots, FYI. Um, and, and so we're watching it. If you weren't familiar with this, the Falcons were just murking out the Pats in the, the first half. And, and then suddenly, in the beginning of the half, the Patriots get some momentum, right? And it's crazy because the Falcons have the ball and the lead, and yet you're watching and you're going, they're going to lose, or the, the Falcons are going to lose. I don't know how I know this. Whatever momentum is, can't explain it to you. There's something about what's going on. And I think, as crazy as this sounds, this is what is ultimately uh, Paul's trying to get at. And I've tried to read commentary after commentary. There's a guy named uh, Charles uh, Ellicott. And I thought he summed up what Paul's trying to get at exactly. I'm going to read it. I don't think I have it on the screen for you. This is what it says. The word spirit varies much in meaning in the New Testament. Okay, But listen to what he says. Here, talking about Romans 8. It is the dominant habit or frame of mind, okay? So it's not, now I want to be careful here. I think there are spirits. I, I do. I really do believe there are spirits, okay? I just don't think that's what he's talking about. I think, I think uh, Charles Ellicott is right in saying this has far more to do with what you've received from God. You did not receive this, again, let me quote him, quote him a dominant habit or frame of mind of slavery, Okay? So I just want to throw it out there because we use this language like, I got a spirit of Thanksgiving right now, or uh, I just, I'm praying for whatever, and, and I want, like, what do we mean by that? I think that's what we mean. I hope that's what we mean. I think that's what Paul means, okay? That's a long time to talk about what the word spirit is, but I had to get that out there because I struggled all week, and I didn't want to just pass over it. So what of the dominant habit or frame of mind did we not receive? The spirit of slavery, Okay. The spirit of slavery, doulos in Greek. It's also used as servant in, in Greek. And, and um, I think as we read through this, there's something in, in uh, noticing the context, and this is what we're going to do in Ephesians, so get used to how this, this type of preaching, us breaking it down. Um, the context is going to help us here understand why he uses the spirit of slavery. Look at your Bibles, okay? Um, as you see in verse 15, what's it say? It says, for you did not. Now, whenever you see a for or a therefore or a because or a so that, you've always, you're demanded. It, the Bible in that moment or reading in general is demanding of you to look back. Unfortunately, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery. Let's look back one more verse, verse 14. For all who are led by, okay, well then let's look back. So let's look at uh, 12 and 13. Verse 13, for if you live, okay, well then let's look back, okay? Uh, uh, verse 12. So, okay, well then we got, we're not going to look back though. We're going to stop there. That's a lot of looking back. Paul's terrible at this. Um, okay. So, so let's start with 12. Listen, listen to what it says. So then brothers, we are debtors. And you could just kind of chalk up one through 11 of us not having condemnation in Christ, not being slaves to the law. So then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Look at verse 12 again, the, the, or, um, the beginning of 13. 
So four, that four is talking that we are not debtors to the flesh. Because we're not debtors of the flesh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. Because that's true, because of what he just described is true, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery. So um, let's connect all these fours. Um, Because you're no longer under condemnation in Jesus Christ, you are not a slave or indebted to the flesh. So why would you ultimately go back, and that's the language it's going to use, to being a debtor or a slave to the flesh? That's not who you are a slave to. Now, the reason this is important is he is correlating um, being uh, enslaved by uh, and, and, and having the spirit of slavery to the flesh. So there are two ways that the Bible talks about you and I looking back in our past life, what we've been adopted from. There's two ways that we've been adopted from slavery. And the first one is things of the flesh. Now, I need that to sit in. I need, I need you to roll a dex in your mind. What was your old life like? You thought you had power. Like, man, like you, you could do whatever you want. You could look at whatever pornography you wanted. Slide a hand, little, little money from the, the business. You can, you can have greed. You can have pride. You could have anger. What Galatians 5 would tell us, 1 Corinthians 6 would tell us, and here in Romans would tell us is you thought you were free, bro. You were a slave. You are a slave to those things. Let me prove it to you. Uh, a passage that I just read with some people in Romans 6, 16 through 18. This is two chapters prior to Romans 8. It says this. What, what spirit of slavery have we been freed, uh, freed from? Listen to this. 16. Do you not know, this is in Romans 6. Uh, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Do you hear that? So I want you to go back in your mind and look where you were. So what have we been freed from? What have we been set free from? What are we no longer slaves to? What did we come from? What was our life like before we are ultimately were adopted by this father who is loving, secure, powerful? Our life at one moment, as uh, Ephesians 2 says it perfectly, we are following the prince of the power of the air. We were slaves to ourselves. We were slaves to lust. We were slaves to desires. Now, it may not have felt like slavery, but those of you who went down that road long enough, who followed that path deep enough to to go down that trail, eventually you got to the point where you knew, I can't get out. My dad, to this day, though he's free from meth, still talks about meth as a disease, something he can't get rid of. He says, I'll always be a meth addict. He's been clean for seven years. Now, what's crazy about this is what we're told, the first thing that we've been adopted from when, when we have, don't have the spirit of slavery is, listen, you're not slaves to the flesh anymore. Now, um, I want to contextualize this because this is huge. I was sitting in a room with some pastors uh, with one of the, a real good contextual missiologist, and um, he had used a word that I thought was extremely helpful, what, what he noticed is in America, and I would, I would double down and say in the West Valley, at least in the Valley in general, and it's the word syncretism. Um, if you, you're not familiar with secretism, I actually wrote down the definition because I didn't want to, I had my own definition and I felt like it wasn't communicating what I wanted to. Yes, syncretism is the uniting of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. So let me, let me say why this is important. Um, 
What's happening now is we've been, ad- we've been adopted from that spirit of slavery. But what's happened is we've carried over that way of life, that mindset, that, that habitual things, as uh, Ellicott said, that the, the way that we process the world into our Christianity. And, and, and Mike, the, the guy who was there, he asked a really good question. He said, uh, I got a question I want you to think about. Do you want the same things your neighbors want? Now, that was a crazy question for me. Because it's, it's not wrong, right? My, maybe my next-door neighbor wants a Corolla. I want a Corolla. Is that wrong? Maybe like my next-door neighbor wants to do an upgrade on their house or do some type of landscaping, and maybe I want... Is that wrong? See, no, his point was, I should desire and long for different things than my old self or the person who's not regenerate, the non-believer. And when we've been set free from these things, it's not we're carrying them into our Christianity, because I deal with this all the time, and I personally dealt with this. If I'm a believer, why? why? Why am I struggling with these thoughts? If I'm a believer, why do I still desire and long for that? And what we're told is, that doesn't have to be true. That doesn't have to be true. As crazy as that sounds, the Bible, the cross, puts in front of us the idea that you are no longer slaves to sin. You're no longer, you do not have that spirit, that mindset. Now hear me, there's a difference between practicing sin, okay, and committing sin. Everyone in this room will commit sin for the rest of their life, FYI. But Christians don't practice it. We're not slaves to it. You'll mess up. You'll mess up. But it ain't got a hold on you. No, no, like it's going to win that one. Uh, it's frustrating, I hate it, I don't want to do it anymore, but you know what, it doesn't have a hold on me. I won't stop fighting. I'm not a slave, I'm not a slave. You don't own me. I'm not a slave to you. That desire, that, that want, all the longings in all the wrong directions, I am no longer subject to those things. And sometimes they convince me to do the wrong thing, that's true, but I'm not a slave to them anymore. So I don't have a license to do whatever I want. That's only one of two things that we're no longer uh, having a spirit of slavery to. Listen, listen to the second one. Um, I want to read something to you. It's from Galatians. If you've ever read the book of Galatians, a great book on grace. I want you to hear the similarities from Romans 8, four, uh, 14 through 17, and what I'm going to read here in Galatians 4, 4 through 10. Listen to this. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. So that, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. This is crazy already, the similarities to Romans 8. And because we are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Again, super similar. Now, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now, you ready for this? Listen to verse 8. Money. Listen to this, okay? Before you Gentiles, anybody who didn't know God, Uh, Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that did not even exist. That's our old life, isn't it? So, so let's spiritualize it. You just thought you were addicted to pornography. You just thought you had a, an anger problem. You just thought you had a, a money greed issue. But, but you were in some way following false gods. Okay. They, they were whispering in your ear. C.S. Lewis paints this picture better than anyone, but we won't get into that. Okay. You were, you were slaves to so-called gods that did not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, can't explain that right now, why do you want to go back again and become slaves 
once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world. Now, do you hear what he just said? Okay, here's, here's the story of the Galatian church. Um, Paul comes in, gets all these people, says, no longer be a slave to your flesh. Cool, they're, they're walking it out. Someone comes into their congregation and begins to add to, uh, to the fact that they are saved by grace, but also they need to do certain things. There's certain religious practices they need to do. Now, what Paul just did in Galatians 4 is he equated, listen, listen again, look at verse 8, you were slaves to so-called gods that didn't even exist, Why do you now want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Paul's trying to tell them in this moment, stop trying to earn grace. Stop trying to work for your salvation because it's the same thing you were doing when you weren't following God at all. The way that you now think you can earn your salvation is just as demonic as before you ever even wanted it. Do you understand? So the cross is, is paralyzing both sides of this. It's, it's making this huge chasm to go, on one side, you were a slave to your flesh before you ever knew God. But if you're not careful, you can skip right over grace and come back to this side and become a slave to legalism. As if your right works. So listen, here's, here's how I, I think I best can explain this. The, the theological terms is you're using your sanctification to understand or um, make right your justification. And in and, and simple terms, this is what you're doing. You're ultimately using your performance before God to decide whether or not you were accepted by him. Now, now what he just said is that's just as demonic. You now... Or, or myself, if we go there, we're slaves also. We're, we're, we're subject to, to, I've got to get it right. I've got to do the right things. Man, I remember, guys, I, I gave everything I owned away. I, I spent every weekend on Mill Avenue street preaching. I memorized and studied. I tried to know everything I possibly could. Stayed up late. You guys know the story. I ran around the church naked when no one was there. Uh, like I did every, I wanted, and, and it was over and over trying to earn, trying to earn. And it wasn't until I was ultimately introduced to Reformed theology that something clicked in me. Man, it's not based on me. It's not based on me. I've gone over here. This is huge. I love how um, John Piper, I think, says this really well. Um, and I, I want to quote him in, in uh, saying this because I think it's helpful. Uh, I think I have a quote for you, but if not, I'm just going to quote the back half of it. So I'm going to pick it up from the middle of the quote. Uh, see, verse 8 shows us that the bondage to the law as a job description is really bondage to demons. He's talking about Galatians 4. The most astonishing thing in this passage is that Paul says Galatian Christians are no... i got to sneeze again. <clears throat> okay, thank you. Um, says Galatians... It always comes in twos. So wait a second. Nope, we're good. No, we're not. Yeah, we are. Okay. Um, uh, Is that Paul says Galatian Christians are in danger of going back to slavery of their former Gentile pagan religion when they turn to the legalism of the Judaizers. So do you hear what he's saying? Ultimately, what what, what Piper, I think this is what Paul's doing in, in Galatians 4 is, you were a slave to your flesh. You're still a slave to your flesh. Now, here's, here's, here's what's crazy about this is, I think um, it's important to note that the results of having the spirit of that slavery, that mindset, that the way that you process life, um, having that spirit about you, um, both of those things lead to the same thing, and that's death. 
Both of those things lead to death. So um, whether you're on one side, uh, you have legalism, right? And the, the, the legalists, there's a motivation behind them. So they think if they can get it right, they can do all these things, right? There's a motivation, right? They are, in a sense, controlling their salvation. Because when they mess up, they feel far from God. But when they get it right, God owes them something. They're in control. But, but, but the, over here, the, the, the person who has license and, and, and can do whatever they want, right? They want nothing to do with God. Who cares? You remember that time maybe you got saved later in life? You didn't give a crap about what God th- thought. And so here, you think you can have whatever you want. But ultimately, as we've talked about, you continue to walk down that path. You realize you're a slave and it ultimately leads to death. So here's, here's what I want to say uh, about what the cross and why you haven't received that spirit of slavery. I want to read to you. We've got a lot of Bible, so I don't apologize for that. Hebrews chapter 2. Listen, listen to this, okay? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Christ, himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. You ready? This is the money statement. Listen to this. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So this is crazy. This is like some Neo into Mr. Uh, Anderson type of, or uh, uh, Mr. Smith stuff, right? Like here's uh, Jesus. He uses death to defeat death. And by uh, using death to defeat death, he then frees you from fearing death. Because the, the person who wants to get it all right and think God's, God's lo- God loves them because of that they are subject to slavery and death because if they don't continue to get it right, when it's all said and done, it's over. Man, if I don't get it right, maybe God doesn't love me. And, and you are operating out of, out of a spirit of fear. This is what's going going back to that way of fear. But on this side, man, it's YOLO, blah, 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 get it all in. You only got this one life because ultimately at the end, it's over. You got to get all of your life in now. But the Christian goes, well, that's just not true. That's just not true. And what Jesus does to free us from this slavery is he removes this bondage on both ends. So hear me, if I can just sum up what I'm trying to get out with all this, is um, there's nothing you can do. I can't believe how many times I've said this to us as a church. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do. So, so listen, um, like even Galatians 3, why, why, when you knew that, what I just said to be true, why are we slipping in, going back to, uses wickedness, witchcraft, why, why are we going back to think we can earn it? It didn't start with you. Hear me, it's not going to end with you. He's got you. He's guiding you. So, so just hear me when I say this. You're going to mess up. You're not going to get it right. You're not. And that doesn't change your justification. You are justified by the blood of Christ. Grace is absolutely necessary. Now hear me on the other side. Works are inevitable if that's true. If that's true, that will do something within you. No one stands at the altar and goes, man, I really, really love her. I really do. And they mean it, right? I really, really love her. And I have no desire to touch her at all. No. That love for her makes you want to love her. And, and I don't mean just physically. I mean, I mean, there are tangible ways in your marriage where you want to step up and serve her. And obviously vice versa. So, so that does something. And th- this is the, the other, hear me, the second side of this. 
the old life that you used to have, I need you to hear this, has no parts in your new life. Do you, do you hear me? It, you do not have that spirit of slavery anymore. The way you used to operate, the way you understood the world, the desires, the longings, hear me when I say this, they have no part in the new man. They have no parts in you being a Christian. Both are true, and he has set you free from that. Now, that's only two words. We better keep going because we're going to lose it uh, here. This is the, the second part of uh, the beginning, the, uh, 15a. He says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery, and then listen to this language, to fall back into fear. Now, I've already done my, my uh, best to explain the idea of what, what we mean by fear, but this is where I want to close. Why does he say to fall back into that? So that is a way now, you have the spirit of adoption, which we're going to talk about on Christmas, or Christmas Eve. We have the spirit of adoption, but why would he, he warn them to fall back into that world? Now, um, Paul is a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knows his Bible. And most likely, um, the, the church, he's explaining their history, a lot of their history. Now, when you use the words slavery, we think colonial slavery. We think 17, 1800s. When they think slavery, when they hear the word slavery, that's not what they're thinking. Now, I'm not going to break down how they're processing slavery, but rather what I'm going to do is understand the history to them of what slavery is. Because when they hear slavery, they hear Egypt. Okay? They're not hearing 17, 1800s colonial slavery. They're hearing Egypt. Now, if you don't know the story of what happens and why they're processing, processing Egypt, the way that we talk about the cross is the way that the Jews talk about Moses and the Exodus. So if you're not familiar with this, the people of Israel are growing and growing and growing and growing. And there is a Pharaoh who really loves the Israelites, but eventually that Pharaoh dies. And there's a new Pharaoh who sees all the Israelites growing and he doesn't like them. So what he does is he puts a mandate to put them all in slavery. Now, their cries over this period of time, 400 years, go up to God, and God hears them. He uses a man, of, uh, a man named Moses to free them from slavery. And if you've never read the accounts, it's crazy. I mean, crazy plagues. To the point where the crescendo of it all is he parts this sea, the Red Sea. The Israelites go through, the Egyptians come in, the water comes in, and they all drown, which is always curious to me that we tell this as like a yay see god survives like that's a lot of dead bodies in the water um right so so hear me so so they get to the other side and this is what's interesting okay when they're hearing slavery i think paul's saying don't fall back into this is because this is you this is me this is the israelites this is all of our propensity listen to what goes on they get to the other side and immediately they break out into song god just did some crazy things to them crazy. So listen to this. They break out in a song, Exodus 15, one through three. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed graciously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Not even to finish out the chapter, this, this woman named Miriam starts to sing, and she says, sing something similar. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into, this, into the sea. Now, that is Exodus 15. That's the end of the whole Prince of Egypt story. Okay, that's the end. We're the back half of that. Okay, in the same chapter. So if you're reading your Bibles, you can follow along in Exodus 15. We don't get to the end of the chapter. They just were singing. Miriam gets up. She's singing the song, singing the song. Praise God. And they're singing some pretty morbid stuff. He killed the horse and his rider. But yes, he's the Lord of salvation. 
We don't get to the end of the chapter. Listen to this. Exodus 15, 24. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And the whole congregation, this is the next chapter. Listen to this. This is chapter 16. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the, in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meal pots and ate bread to the full for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger that's chapter 16 they 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 rejoice in 15 they complain in 15 they complain in 16 they complain in 17 17 3 but the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against moses and said why did you bring us out of egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst now fyi if you've ever read, read exodus and the rest of the old testament that just doesn't end over and over and over. God, you saved us next day. What's the deal, God? This just goes on and on and on. Now, the, the foundation of where all the grumbling is coming from, like, like what's going on, we actually get a glimpse into. And it's actually right before they cross into the Red Sea. We're talking a million people are on the edge of this Red Sea. And, and here they are, they're waiting, and the, the, the Egyptians are coming. You can see the dust in, in the distance. And, and they begin to grumble, and they make a statement that is so telling of why they make this statement in 15, 16, 17. Why they're so quick to forget their salvation. Why they're so quick to forget the fact that they were in slavery. L- listen to, to what they say. Uh, ver- chapter 14, verse 12. Is, it, is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You know what that word in Hebrew, though? Service, slaves. Moses, why did you bring us here? It was better when we were slaves. It was better when we were slaves. Do you hear what they're saying? Because I, I need you, to, this is what's echoing in your, my heart every single day as Christians. God, Sometimes I feel like I'd rather be a slave than have to trust you. But that is not the spirit he has given you. That's not the spirit he has given you. He has freed you from the bondage of your desires, your flesh, everything that the enemy whispers into your ear. And that's true in the areas before you were Christian, and it's true now thinking you can earn God's salvation. Now, um, our whole time is devoted towards uh, this idea of adoption, like I said, in Advent. Um, And I think it's interesting, as we talk about what we've been adopted from, uh, or uh, adopted from, and what we talked about um, who we've been adopted by, um, I would be foolish not to just acknowledge something that we have not received the the spirit of slavery, but we've received the spirit of adoption. And I'd be foolish, even though we're going to talk about it on Christmas Eve, I think we'd be missing the whole point of getting at where Jesus is in all of this. Because it's using him language. He has not, so on and so forth. Um, here's what's crazy about what Christmas, uh, what goes down at Christmas and adoption. Um, something that I think we, we might miss. Um, see, here's Jesus having everything, eternally existing in the triune God. He, he wasn't bored and needed something to do. That's not what the Trinity, they weren't trying to like kick it together and go, I don't know, what do you want to do today? Let's make a world. Let's make a universe while we're at it. No, that, that's not, that, like there's, there's some, he's content. 
He's content. Time's not linear for him. Jesus Christ, the, the God made, made flesh in the Trinity, he's good. He leaves godness. He leaves godness, and he becomes, as we know in 2 Corinthians 8 9, poor so that we might become rich. But there's more to that, isn't there? Listen to Philippians chapter 2. This is the last verse I'll share with you. I know some of you guys have gotten too much Bible this morning. Philippians 2, 7 through 8. That was a joke. I apologize for being condescending. Um, <laughs> verses 7 through 8. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Now, we're familiar with this, but I want you to again look at your Bibles in verse 7. But this is Jesus, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now, you already know at this point what I'm going to say that word is. Stulas. Jesus leaves everything so he can become a slave. I mean, think of, think of what he gives up. Like, like, he can do whatever he wants, and now he's confined to flesh and bones. So he gives away all things to, to become poor, to become a servant, so that we could get everything he gave up. Now, here's what's so mind-bottling boggling about this. That was an inappropriate reference, okay? Here's, here's, here's what's so mind-blowing about this idea is um, I have a friend who, uh, when they were, him and his brother and, uh, and sister, when they were about teenagers, they adopted a little girl, okay? And they adopted this little girl uh, from, uh, her mom was in a life of prostitution, drugs, it was all bad. And she was real young, two or three years old. What happened with this little girl is, um, a- as she began to grow, grow up, when she hit her teenage years, she immediately, even though the home life is really, really good, I mean, godly, solid, whatever it is, she immediately converted back to the way of life that her mom had. Now, there are certain, if you've ever adopted, uh, there are certain, like, stages that a kid goes through, right? Like, as a baby, there's healthy ways that parents are to touch our kids and, and tickle them, kiss their little necks. And, and then as you get toddlers, there's ways that we have to acknowledge them and then independence and all that stuff. So somewhere in that, she missed the stage. And this is common in foster care a lot, if you're not familiar, that, that there's something they hit and they revert back to whatever their, their parents were like, okay? And I think there is a spirituality to this, but I just want you to hear in the story uh, what's going on. And I want to do an exercise with you. Because as she reverts back to, all my buddy kept saying as he told me this story is, I just don't understand why. Like, why? Like, we, she got everything we had growing up. She heard the gospel. She, she was given a car when she turned 16. Why would she go back to that way of life? So here's how I want to finish. Um, what would you say to her? If you now are sitting in front of that 17, 16, 17-year-old girl, and she now was brought in to a loving home. She's been loved, cared for, financially taken care of, set up for the future, the exact opposite of what she's been saved from, adopted from, which is being raised by a prostitute who's addicted to drugs. But she now continues to like jerk back in that direction. What would you tell her? If you were sitting down one-on-one, what would you say to her? So the last probably 48 hours, I've thought of that question. 
Like, and, and my propensity is I want to get angry. Honestly, if I could be straight, I think it started off with, you're such an idiot. What, like, look what you have. Why would you go back to that? I grew up in that and I'm grateful I'm not in it. Why would you want to go back? But then like, as time settled, it was crazy. There was two things that came to mind that I would tell her. First, I would remind her of where she's come from. I would remind her that the thing she wants to go down, her mom has already experienced and it brought her nothing but pain. That road, it promises big things, but it fails over and over and over again. And the second thing I would tell her is I would remind her of the love that she has in the home that is in front of her right there. That's the gospel. That's what I'm trying to communicate. That's what you've been saved from. That's what you've been saved to. That Jesus leaves his place of majesty to come to be a slave, to free you from that crap. But we're the teenage girl, aren't we? I want to revert back. I want to revert back. And the whole time, here's the Holy Spirit whispering, but I know that path, Sean. Like, you know how many pastors have, have gone down that path? You know how many dads? You know how many husbands? have gone down that path, and, and it's, it's, it's only going to bring pain. Look at me. Look what I'm offering you. It's so much better. So I hope that puts it in the mindset, that you would take that frame of mind to know at your core, what you would communicate to that teenage girl is what the gospel is communicating to you over and over and over again. You no longer, as a believer in Christ, have the spirit of slavery. You've been saved from it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that as we read words um, like slavery, uh, it makes our hearts uh, kind of pump a little bit, right? Like we, to think that we were ever slaves to ourselves, to think that we're slaves to religion, just isn't something that we naturally process. But your word won't let us escape it. So that's ultimately where we send our gratitude is, is we recognize your word centers us. That we are no longer, um, we've no longer received this spirit of slavery. That's not what we um, know to be true. That's not how we operate. That's not our frame of mind anymore. But no, we, we've been saved from that and we've been adopted by you who are powerful, you who are generous, you who are loving, you who are secure. Thank you for that. Thank you for reminding us of that in your word. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.